Lord, we thank you that we might not know each other very well today because there's a lot of people in this room. But Lord, you know us all so intimately. You know every detail of our lives. You know the road that we've walked. You never said, Lord, that the road would be easy. In fact, you said it's a narrow road. It's a road that's full of difficulty. The broad road that you've taken us away from is an easy road full of pleasure. But the end of that road is destruction. But Lord, you've led us on a narrow road. You said that road is a difficult road. You didn't promise that it would be easy. But what you did say was that you would never leave us or forsake us. So the difficulties come, the crises of life, the storms, the trials, the temptations. We fall down into all kinds of things. But Lord, all of those things generate a dependence on you. And Lord, this morning, some of us are just crying out for help, sending out a distress signal from our hearts. Oh, God, help us. Lord, we thank you. You do not ignore that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Because when we're weak, you are strong. Yes, Lord. When we are weak, you said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. My favor. Lord, we thank you. As your word says, you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. Those that are hurt, those that are broken, those that are wounded, those that have fallen into trial and temptation, don't know what's going on. It's to the humble that you give grace. It's to the humble that you visit. So, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a massive shout. And uh, you may be seated. We're going to get just straight into the word this morning. Oh, man, Jesus is amazing. He really is. He really is. Do you know, sometimes we, uh, we go through things in life. I'm glad we got some tissues up here because I am known to cry. Oh, man. You know, sometimes we go through things in life and um, it's like we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. We carry burdens. We carry weight. And, um, you know, we do things maybe sometimes that we shouldn't do. And we feel guilty. We feel bad. Because we've done things knowingly that, that they're wrong. And, you know, I mean, I'm sure your experience would be the same. When you're a kid and you do something wrong in the house, you get disciplined for that. You get a warning. Then you get disciplined. And if it's bad enough... You get excluded to the bedroom because that's what happens to naughty children. 
you get taken out of the family, out of the enjoyment of the experience, and you have to go upstairs and you have to go to the bedroom on your own. And you're crying. Anybody ever been to the bedroom on their own? Of course you have. I have too. And you're desperately wanting to come out of the bedroom, but the door's locked because you've been a bad boy or a bad girl and you can't come down and you hear the enjoyment downstairs. You hear it all. You want to go down? You can't go down because you've been naughty. See, crying already. You've been naughty. That's what happens. Mum and dad get angry with you. Get to the bedroom. I've had enough of you. So up you go. Maybe you're there for an hour or two. Or maybe you've, what you've done is so bad you've got to go there after school for a week. Every night you can't go out playing with your friends because that's what, that's, that, that's what happens when you're naughty, when you're bad. That's what happens. Or change the scenario. But the, 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 the consequences are the same. You go into school and you've got a naughty little heart, a rebellious little heart, and you don't want to learn. And you don't want to sit in order and sit in line and do what everybody else is doing. You don't want to listen to the teacher. So you begin to throw things at the teacher when her back is turned and she's writing things on the board. Have you ever done that? No, I used to do it all the time. And you're rebellious and you don't go to school with any books because it's boring and you don't want anything to do with education because you've got a hard heart, a rebellious heart and you're fighting and you're angry and you're nasty and you walk into school and you don't want anything to do with what they're, what they're saying so you become a troublemaker. Ever done it? No, you're all well behaved. But I used to do it all the time because I was angry. And then the teacher would get fed up with me and she would call for the headmaster. So I'd go into the headmaster's office. I hope my children aren't here this morning because I've never told them this story. I've only told them the good parts. And you go into the headmaster's office and the headmaster says, Edwards, bend over. I'm going to correct you. And he gets his stick out. And he whacks your backside and he whacks that, that wrongdoing out of you for a few hours. That's all. Only for a few hours. But the next day it comes back. You see, when you're naughty at home, you get sent to the bedroom. When you're naughty in school, you get sent to the headmaster's office and he thrashes you. Same scenario Change the environment. Go to work. You don't meet their expectations. You don't come up to the mark. You, you get in late because you're tired. You've been watching Sky TV all night and having a feast and loving it and living it up. And you get to work an hour late. You tell a couple of lies. Oh, I, I, I got a bit of flu. But you haven't got any flu, you little tinker. You've been watching Sky TV or, or watching YouTube. Anybody likes YouTube? I watch it all the time. It's fantastic. So you get to work late. And it happens time after time after time. Because you just want a bit of enjoyment, a bit of fun. You get pulled into the office. And 
your record is analysed, your performance is, comes under scrutiny and the powers that be sit down with you and they penalise you and they say to you, listen, if, you, if your performance doesn't change, you're not going to have a job. And they, they write a few remarks on some paper and your performance is watched and if you do not change your performance because you're watching Sky TV every night or surfing the internet or watching YouTube or doing whatever you want to do, if that does not change, you won't have a job. You won't have a job. So, as a kid, you're brought up to fear discipline. You get sent to the bedroom. You go into school. They correct you there. They whack it out of you. Or when you go into employment, your performance is analyzed. Now, watch how this happens. You come in here this morning, you've had a bad week. You've had a bad week. You may have sinned. You may, you may feel guilty this morning. You, you may feel condemned. What's going to happen? You're in the presence of a holy God. You're in the presence of a righteous God. You are in the presence of one who is so perfect that it, it's, it's unimaginable. Is he going to send you to the bedroom like your dad did because you haven't performed well? Is he going to thrash you with a stick like the headmaster did because you've misbehaved? Or is he going to, you know, log your misdemeanors in your performance because they haven't come up to the mark? Oh no, he's going to do far more than that. Because where sin abounds, grace does more abound. He's going to pour his favor on you. He's going to pour his goodness on you. Because the Bible says that, that God leads us to repentance. God causes a change of mind in our, in our heads when he, when he pours his favor upon us. It's the goodness of God that causes a change of mind. That causes a change of heart. You see, God won't exclude you to a bedroom. God won't, you know, whack you with a stick. God won't analyze your performance like an employer will do. He'll pour grace on you. Grace will overpower your sin. Grace will superabound all of the wrongdoing that you and I have done. You say, well, God does discipline. Of course he does. Of course he does. But let's, let's, Understand how he disciplines. He disciplines those he loves. Oh, let me tell you the predominant attribute of God in any discipline, in any correction, is unconditional love, not anger. If God was angry with us, none of us would be here. God is not angry with us. God is hopelessly and helplessly in love with us. He loves us. So away with the condemnation, away with the guilt, away with all of the fearful expectation. The Bible says 
He has justified us, and that is a legal term. You are legally acquitted of any moral wrongdoing before God. I can't work it out, you can't work it out, but as a result of Jesus dying on the cross for you, as a result of Jesus dying on the cross for me, I am justified. It's like in the universal court of heaven, you are completely and absolutely acquitted so that when you stand before him one day, he will be able to say, justified, acquitted, completely righteous completely righteous but that's only the beginning God goes far further than that because justification is a very cold sort of legal conclusion that God needs for you to stand in his presence but he goes far more than that he actually adopts you that not only makes you that that not only makes you completely legally acquitted before him But that means that God is relationally connected with you as a father. He loves you and me. He loves us completely. Do you know? Man. I was on the bed this week just with my little girl. And um, it was time for her to go to sleep. And she had her arms around me and as... She was going to sleep. I just felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me. He said, Dave, he said, do you remember when I said to you, if you ever stop following me, I'm going to start following you? I said, yeah, Lord. I remember that. I remember that, Lord. I remember you saying that to me. You see, that's how committed he is to us. If you ever stop following him, guess what? He's not going to let you go. He's not going to let any of us go. He's going to start following you. He will not lose anyone. You know, the Bible says that he's married to the backslider. This is a love on a scale that we've never, ever known. This is a love that keeps coming at you. Whether you're following him or he's following you, he's going to get you because he loves you. He is not going to lose you. He really isn't. The Bible says that when we are, when we are faithless, he is faithful. When we can't follow anymore, he follows us. He really does. You say, well... Is that in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. And I'm going to read to you it again. Read, read, read about it again this morning from Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, Jesus is telling three stories. And the, the story that we're going to concentrate on this morning is not about a sheep following the shepherd It's about the shepherd following the sheep. It really is. You see, when we no longer follow him, the message is clear. He keeps following us. And some of us may be here today and we've gone through things and we've questioned our faith and we've even lost our faith and our hearts may have grown cold. And we wonder... Because, because we know that God watches our lives and God sees it all. And we may think that he's disappointed and he's given up on us. Let me tell you, God will never give up on you. 
He will never give up on you. When we can't follow him, he will follow us. Luke 15, let me read it. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. This is a story about a shepherd following a lost sheep. Jesus is in the midst of people and there's sinners all around him. And the, these religious people called the Pharisees, they can see it. They can see Jesus talking to his friends. And they begin to complain because their hearts are hard. This, when you read this chapter, you see that it's a chapter, we've said, full of disconnection. Full of disconnection. This, this chapter is, this room that Jesus is in, there's disconnected people all around him. There's people on, on, on one side that have got no idea about God. They're living in darkness. They've got a broken picture as to who God is. And Jesus is there wanting to connect them again to a loving relationship with the Father. Jesus is wanting to reconnect what is disconnected. And these hard-hearted Pharisees are there and they're complaining about the fact that Jesus wants to get into the lives of people and reconnect them with God. That's how hard a heart can be. When a, when a person looks at another person and, and, and puts them down and says, you, you know, measures them by a standard or a set of rules and puts them under their heel. That's not God. That's not right. And that's what was happening in this room when Jesus was ministering. These hard-hearted men, they had no desire to reach the world around them, even though it was all broken and mixed up. But Jesus, the friend of sinners, they called him. What a, what a compliment. What a compliment to be called the friend of sinners. They you know, they, they used that remark, the religious used that remark as an insult. But Jesus, I believe, took it as a compliment. The friend of sinners. You see, Jesus wasn't afraid to go to all of the wrong places in town. Jesus was never afraid to meet all of the wrong people that religious, that religious people had put aside. Jesus went deep into the world of, of the sinners and the broken and, and those who were in prison. He went deep into their world. That's how you get that kind of reputation. You don't get a reputation being a friend of sinners by fitting in in a synagogue. By, by you know, just, just trying to keep everybody happy and keep the peace. 
Jesus could never do that. No, he went deep into their world to rescue them. He said, didn't he? He said, I've not come for the righteous. I've come for the unrighteous. I've not come for the whole. I've come for the broken. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. And he did that. He went out into his world. And you know, as he left that synagogue on on that occasion when he ministered in Nazareth and they threw him out. He went out into a world and he found friends everywhere. He found friends in leper colonies. He found friends who were demonized. He found friends who, who, whose lives were turned upside down by immorality. He found friends everywhere. And he ministered to them and he helped them and he healed them. But to these hard-hearted men, he spoke a simple story. He didn't get angry with them. They were proud with their so-called connection that they thought they had with God. And yet they didn't even know him. Two worlds were here. There was the world of the religious, the world of the Pharisee, and the world of the sinner. The notorious sinner that couldn't do anything for themselves. They were helpless in their disconnected state. And Jesus was in the middle of it all. And he told them a simple story. And he said to them, he said, listen. He said there was a bloke, a shepherd, and he lost one of his sheep. Now this is, you know, he's telling the most simple basic story to very educated people. Pharisees. I mean, these were the people who were right at the top. And he brings them right down in their reasoning, to understand what his heart was all about. And he'd lost a sheep. And he realized that he lost one of his sheep. And he left the 99 in pursuit of the one. To find the one. His heart was burning. His heart was passionate for the one. You know, the Bible says, in the book of Isaiah... All of us, every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one to his own wicked way. Outside of Christ, we are like sheep, the Bible tells us. And we wander here and there. And we go this way and that way. There's a wicked way within us. We don't like to admit it. You know, that's a big word, isn't it? Wicked way. It's a big statement. You know, we're all trying to be good, but the Bible says, as as it focuses in and zones in on the condition of a human life, it says, we're like sheep wandering, straying. Each one of us has a wicked way within us, and it causes us to wander away from God. And then it says this, and it's a terrible statement. It is a terrible statement. Some of the statements in the Bible that are made about human life are absolutely awful. We read them and we we look at them. Do you know what? They are diabolical words. They are absolute. When you read the Bible and you, you listen to some of the words that come from God's heart regarding human life, they're the most horrid words you could ever hear. 
I'm going to cheer you up in a minute. They are. They are. Come on, read the book. It says, we're all like sheep. We've, we've strayed. We've wandered. Each one to his own wicked way. And then it says this. And these, this is the awful statement that the Bible makes about every human being that has ever lived. There is none righteous, no, not one. None. Nobody is righteous. Until Jesus gets hold of you. When Jesus gets hold of you, when you come into the new covenant, it says, in the old covenant, it says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Jesus comes into your life, and Paul gets a revelation by the Spirit, and he says this, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Woo-hoo! So on the one hand, outside of Christ, we can never be righteous. But in Christ, we're the righteousness of God. The shepherd goes after this sheep. You know, I, I, uh, I like to spend a lot of time on the mountain. Every week I'm up there. Every week I see the sheep. Every week I watch them, looking at them, thinking about my own life thinking about life in general and you see their fleece you go on the mountain you'll see it on the barbed wire you'll see the wool of the sheep on the on the wire and you see how the fold is in the pasture and then you see how one with that wicked rebellious streak he doesn't want to stay in the fold and he breaks through the fence There's a drive to go beyond the boundary. There's a drive within him to go beyond the perimeter. There's safety in the pasture. There's safety in in where the shepherd has led the the sheep. But there's one that strays. There's one that wanders. There's one that breaks through the fence. Even to the expense of leaving his wool on there. And then it's not long. I think, oh yeah, there's this little sign here. It's not long before you find a whole carcass ripped to bits because it's, it's not in the pasture. I was up there the other day and I, it amazed me. I, I ride up through this quarry and there's a sheep on the edge of the cliff eating grass. And you think, my, that's a brave sheep. That is a brave sheep eating grass. It's got the whole pasture. It's got the whole hillside at its disposal. The shepherd has led it to green pasture, to good pasture. But this sheep and a number of others wanted to feed and graze. Right, I mean, you're talking like this. And then it's, it's eating here. And it's walking on the cliff face. And I thought, you know, there's a message there. God puts perimeter after perimeter in front of us. And we kick them down. We break through. We, we don't go God's way. And, we, and, and before we, we know it, we're on the side of the cliff and we... 
We're completely ignorant of the dangers below us. You know, around that quarry, there's a fence and there's big red, red signs, danger. Don't go any further or keep out. And I'm thinking, why couldn't the sheep read the sign? I mean, it must be a really dumb sheep not to read the sign. But it's there. Maybe we're on a cliff today. Maybe we're on the edge. You're ignorant of the danger below you. Because you've stopped following him. I've got great news for you. He's following you. He's going to take you away from the edge. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Not because you're good, but because he's good. Not because you're faithful or I'm faithful. We're faithless. That's why we're on the edge of the cliff, you see. But he is faithful. I remember another time we, one of Daniel's friends is, is uh, his friend. His dad's a farmer. I remember him coming in one morning. I said, hey, George, how you doing? Really spoke to me, this did. How you doing, George? Hey, I'm doing good. What time did you get up this morning, George? I know he gets up early. Oh, me and my dad were up at four this morning. You were up at four, George. What were you doing up at four? Well, we had to get the sheep in from pasture. Great. What were you doing, though, George? He said, well, me and my dad had to give them a shot. We had to medicate them. Okay. So you had to give the sheep medicine. Yeah. Why did you have to do that, George? He said, well, you see, when they're out in pasture, these sheep will just literally eat anything. They'll ravage it. They'll digest it. And as a result of that, they can contract diseases. They can become ill. They're their stomach they can have stomach cramps and pains all kinds of complications and I thought to myself yeah that's a bit like us Lord we go out we come together into his fold into his home and he gives us food and he talks to us but out there in that world there's a lot of stuff to eat Out there in that world, outside of his presence, sheep are hungry. Sheep want to eat. Sheep have got an appetite for anything and everything. If it looks good, it doesn't matter where it's at, where it's from. We'll just eat it. We'll just devour it. Because we're hungry. The soul thirsts for food. The soul is hungry. It wants to eat and eat and eat and it will eat anything, even at its own expense. Just like those sheep. But I got good news for you this morning. You may be eating some stuff that's hurting you. You may be eating some stuff that's bringing you down. But there's a shepherd. That's the overseer, the Bible says, of our soul. And he knows what we've been eating. And he comes 
like true shepherd and medicates us and makes us whole. Like David says, he restores. In that great Psalm 23, he restores my soul. Why did David say he restores my soul? I tell you why. Because like a sheep, he'd been out in the pasture eating anything and everything even to his own harm, even to his own detriment. And when he thought it was all over, when he could follow God no more, he found a God that was following him, that was taking his broken life and his broken soul and restoring it. He's amazing. He really is. Now the shepherd in this story that Jesus speaks about, he finally finds his sheep. Lost. And I said this last time as we closed. What did he do? He picked him up and he put him on his shoulders. That's the shepherd for you. Why did he do that? Well, I think he may have done it because the sheep could no longer walk. The sheep maybe had fallen prey to something that he couldn't get out of. Do you know it's interesting when a sheep runs into a thicket or a bramble. Instead of backing out, a few steps would take the sheep out of the bramble. But instead of backing out, because the sheep is a highly intelligent animal, it just keeps going forward. I will get through the bramble. I will get through the thicket. And in the east, the bramble and the thicket could, could go on and on and on and on and on. But the sheep is so intent to go forward, it can't back out. It, it, it can't go into reverse. A few steps would take it out. A few steps would mean that it's free again. But in the sheep's mind, it's got to go forward. And it keeps going forward until it can move no more. And it's completely caught in the thicket. That may have been the predicament that the shepherd found this sheep in that Jesus spoke about. It was lost. The shepherd puts the sheep on its shoulders and he uses his strength to come up under the sheep and carry it home. The average sheep, what does it weigh? I looked on the internet. A hundred kilograms. I mean, that's a lot. That's heavy. A hundred kilograms. But the passion of the shepherd to carry you and me. How heavy does your life weigh today? really heavy. Do you know there's times in all of our lives where our lives weigh so much, so heavy, so heavy. Got good news for you today. Doesn't matter how heavy your life weighs, there's a shepherd that loves you, that comes up under you, that will carry you home. Home. Home is a wonderful place. Home is a place. See, the other 99 were in the wilderness, but the one lost one gets taken home. Home's a place where things get fixed. Home's a place where there's rest, where there's healing, where there's help, where your life again gets mended. And Jesus said, listen, I'm like a shepherd. 
carrying sheep home. Pharisees, don't criticize me for that. Jesus didn't come out guns blazing at these men full of anger. He said, listen, I'm just going to get the lost sheep, those that are broken, those that are injured, and he picks them up and he carries them home. I'm going to ask James just to come. We're going to finish in a few moments. I tell you now, knowingly and unknowingly, the shepherd has carried us all at times in our lives where we can go no further, where we can no longer follow. He follows us and he carries us to that place. Home. This is our home. This is our place where he heals us, where he brings us to feed us, where he cares for us. Then he goes into another story just to explain his heart. He talks about a woman in a house who'd lost a coin. You see, one is out, the sheep is out there in the wilderness, in the world, getting caught into all kinds of things that are dangerous, that are harming, and the shepherd goes out there to find that lost sheep. But then he changes it and he says, or it could be like a woman who's lost a coin in a house and she lights a lantern, a lamp, and searches everywhere and cleans the whole house to find the coin that's been hidden. And he's changing the picture back and forth to illustrate one point, one message. If you're lost... I want to find you. If you're lost, I want to recover. I want to reclaim. I want to reconnect you. I want to restore the relationship that's been broken down. Maybe even in this place, as a believer, you've come here and you're like that coin, lost, You don't fit in. Well, like I said before, there's a place here for everyone, isn't there? We're a family. We're growing in that. We're learning about that. We're trying to build and strengthen that in every way that we can. No, there's a purpose for your life in this place. There really is. There really is. We're going to close our eyes just for a moment. Today, do you know, you may be here and you may not know Jesus. There was a time in my life where I did not know Jesus. I didn't know him. But in my heart, I knew there was something missing. That thing missing was a person I tried to fill that hole with everything, like many of us did. That one thing missing was a person, his name, Jesus. Jesus. When Jesus comes into your life, your search ends. It really does. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to pray with me. I'd love to pray with you where you can invite Jesus into your heart. Maybe this morning... 
All of us know Christ here. That's great. Or maybe there's one or two. You don't know him. I want to pray for you. You're like that lost sheep. Let's close our eyes while eyes are closed, just in respect for this moment. If, if you'd like to pray, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. Would you lift your hand up? I want to pray with you. If you're here this morning, is there one person? Just join with me in prayer. Give you a few moments. You know you need to make a decision. A prayer to God. If not, we're going to stand and sing. Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. Lord, we thank you when we don't have the strength to follow you or we just turn around and walk away from you. Thank you. It's in that moment you come following us. You chase us and recapture us with your love. Lord, we thank you. When we've been out in the world eating all the wrong stuff, we fall and pray again to old fears and, and, and depression or things that have attached themselves to our lives because we're eating all the wrong food. Lord, we thank you. You come and medicate us and heal us and give us that diet of your word. Lord, we thank you. Lord, even when we're on the edge of a cliff, unaware of the danger before us, we thank you, oh God, that you are mighty to save. Your word says that your arm is not short, that it cannot save us. It reaches us at the place that we're at. And even if we broke through the fence and left the pasture and gone through every perimeter and we're prayed by things that we shouldn't be prayed by, we've left your protective care. Lord, we thank you even when that happens. You're following us because, Lord, where sin abounds, grace does more abound. We thank you for your favor. We thank you that, Lord, you change our mind by lavishing us with your goodness. We thank you that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Come on, church, let's stand to our feet. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O good shepherd. Great is your faithfulness. Now let's give him praise. Let's give him a shout this morning that's worthy of his name. We give you praise, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We worship you. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. We love you. We love you, Jesus. 